1: When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Joshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, For fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required, and after that the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the grant they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests, and the Levites, and all who had come up to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites, from twenty years old and upward, to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers, and Kadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Hanadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Good morning again, everyone. How
0: are we? Good. Well, again, a special welcome to our visitors and newcomers, and also those now tuning in online, and a big welcome to sitting on here Wollongong. Why don't we put our hands together for Wollongong, who are tuning in. Hey, we love you guys. Joel, we, we, we hope you're feeling better, uh, and we are cheering you on. Uh, we're going to be in Ezra chapter 3 today, uh, so keep those Bibles open, keep those screens uh, alive, uh, but we're going to pray. Let's dive in. Gracious God, we thank you for your Word, and we thank you that your Word is truth. Lord, would you this morning sanctify us in your truth? Come and fill us and lead us by your Holy Spirit. Make Jesus big to us today, that we might make sense of Ezra chapter 3 in light of who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are picking back up again the book of Ezra in this series that we're calling Rebuild. And last week, you might remember, we kicked off with this incredible story of the pagan king, King Cyrus, releasing and sending the people of God back to the promised land, back to their homeland, there near Jerusalem, and highlighted to us God's faithfulness, that God did not forget them. God did not let them down, and that means that God will never let you down. Well, today we uh, pick up the story again, and the building work now gets underway. And I hope today to help you make sense of something. See, on Easter Sunday we uh, celebrated the historical reality that Jesus, though dead and buried and put inside a tomb. Walked out of that tomb alive and well, as the angel said to the women there. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said he would. And because Jesus has risen and walked out of the tomb, there's a point of difference between Christianity and every other world religion, particularly when it comes to our places of worship. See, every other religion has places of worship that they build around the grave sites of the people that they follow, their religious leaders. I've got a couple of examples behind me on the screen. The first is the uh, Temple of the Sacred Tooth in Sri Lanka. Uh, this is the, uh, a, a temple built around the uh, discovery of a tooth of Buddha. And so it's become a a Buddhist temple, uh, and uh, many, many people, Buddhists, flock to this temple to uh, be around the tooth of Buddha, to to pray there, to meditate there, uh, to uh, worship there. We could turn to the Cemetery of Confucius in China. This is where those who follow Confucianism uh, come to pay their respects to their leader. This is where he is buried. And here they come and they pray and they meditate and they worship. Or we could think about the mosque of the prophet in Medina. This is where the prophet Muhammad of Islam is buried, just under that green dome there. And every year, millions of Muslims descend upon Medina to pray and to worship on this very spot. And so year after year, People flock to these temples, temples of the dead, and they reflect on their religious leader and they worship there and they pray there and they meditate there. But have you ever noticed that the Christians, we have nowhere to go. We have no grave sites upon which to to visit and to pay our respects because the grave itself that Jesus walked out of was never enshrined. And we can go and I'm sure uh, some, some tourist companies would want us to pay big bucks and there's multiple grave sites that they say are the grave. But there's nothing that we have in our uh, kind of worship life style of a pilgrimage to a place. We have no temple. And so where are we going to go to find God's presence? Where are we going to go to worship and to pray and meditate? Where are we going to go to press in to God? Well, today we're going to rewind two and a half thousand years and see this temple is being started to be built here by uh, the Jews who went back to their homeland. And we're going to see the significance of this temple for us, though. We're going to see the significance theologically, but also very practically for us. It's a short chapter, and so let me walk us through the chapter. uh, And then we're going to stop and talk about the whole idea of the temple, uh, and including even perhaps joining those in Ezra 3 in rebuilding the temple today. So let's open Ezra chapter 3. Last week the text finished where uh, 42,000 or so of the people had returned back to the promised land and they fanned out into their hometowns. Well now, we pick it up in Ezra 3 and it is the seventh month of the year, which in the Jewish calendar means that that is the month of the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booths that followed. And so they are making their pilgrimage back for that feast to Jerusalem, the main city. And we read at the start of Ezra chapter 3, When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josedak with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And so some of you might be familiar with the story of God's people, but just like they did when they first entered the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the first thing they want to do is build an altar. Because by having an altar, they're able to obey the Scriptures. They're able to obey the law of Moses in offering burnt offerings and sacrifices upon it. And just like they did when they first entered the promised land way back when, they also did so in fear. They were nervous and anxious about the surrounding nations who had now come to occupy this place. And so they wanted to establish their legitimacy, having come home to this place. And so they built the altar very quickly, so that they could start offering offerings very quickly. And so the altar gets up, but that's just the start, because we're told then in, in verse 6, from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. And so they had some progress. They started being able to offer sacrifices and kind of worship as they had been directed. But there's a but there. But it just wasn't the same. The temple had not yet been reconstructed. It had not yet been built. And so stage one of the building project is complete and stage two begins. They need to get started on the temple. And we could read further that the people... Pull their resources together for this bigger building project. And there's Zerubbabel there, and he's like the Scotty Cam of the ancient worksite. And then there's Jeshua there, and he's the, the main priest at the time. And they work together to say, like, who's going to do what? And so Zerubbabel puts all the builders to work. Jeshua puts the priests aside so they can supervise the builders, and they lay the foundation of the temple. And such is the significance of this achievement that the mere laying of the foundation, they put down the concrete slab, that in itself leads to a worship service. It leads to this glorious celebratory moment. And so the band comes out, there's trumpel, trumpets and cymbals, there's bass guitars, there's synths, there's drum kits. It's crazy. In verse 11 says they sang responsively praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel and all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid and so there's this remarkable moment this is a remarkable moment in the history of God's people and keep in mind it's it's all this fanfare for the foundation Of the temple being laid. And so we need to know what is this big idea with the temple? Why all the fuss about the mere foundation of the temple being laid? Now I confess, I'm a massive homebody. Anybody who just loves to be at home, you know, traveling and being adventurous, it's exciting. It's great. But every time you travel, you're just reminded that you are not at home. You're excited about venturing on the plane to, to go somebody go somewhere and then there's someone's knees in your back you read for a little bit too long on the plane you get motion sickness when you travel you finally get off the plane you you then have to live out of a suitcase and you kind of forget what clothes you've worn already and haven't yet washed and so every time you kind of wake up the next morning and change it's like have I worn this before this is a little bit crispy your toothpaste always seems to leak in the toiletry bag, or is it, is it just me? It just, it just always seems to happen. It's just always a reminder that you are not at home. And so traveling is awesome, but there's just that, no, no greater feeling than unlocking the front door and walking on through the front door after you've been away. That first night in your own bed with your own pillows, it's like an appetizer for heaven. And that sense of coming home. It's a little bit like the sense of what these people will have been feeling here in this chapter. But even more than that, there's a sense that also God's glory, God's own very presence, also needs a home. See, a pop-up tab- tabernacle was, was, t- was fine when they were kind of in the wilderness. Yet when they came out of the wilderness, there was this need, this angst amongst God's people. God can't keep living in a tent. He needs a home, a temple. And so the first temple was built by King Solomon. And there's a conversation that God and King Solomon have after he's been commissioned to build it. And in the course of the conversation, God expresses his desire to make a home with his people. He says in the book of 1 Kings, I've heard your prayer and your plea, which you've made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built By putting my name there forever, my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And so there was this, finally, we're home. God was settling in with his people, attaching his name to them forever. And so fast forward from then to this moment that we're reading about now. It is a particularly huge moment. For people who have been exiled for 70 years to finally themselves feel like they've come home. And yet, the God that they worship, the God that they live with, the God that they dwell with, is not yet here. And so they are so celebratory when it starts to happen and the foundation is laid. Because by building this temple, God is moving back in with them. Now that thought leads to how this moment is also significant. For us, This idea of the temple is also significant for us. There's a few layers that we should know about as we consider a chapter in the Old Testament talking about the temple. There's a famous moment in one of the biographies of Jesus where Jesus walks through the temple of the day. And it appears that he has a meltdown because he's walking through the temple and he's noticing that there are people who are making this temple feel the vibe is like the stock exchange on Wall Street. Like there are just buyers and sellers absolutely everywhere. It is chaos. And so Jesus kind of finds a corner in the, in the temple and he starts to fashion a whip together. And he goes crazy. He starts whipping everybody out of the temple, the buyers and the sellers of animals there. And then he says something profound. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And the religious leaders at the time like, this guy's crazy. What are you talking about? It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But then we're told that Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying that by his coming, he is bringing such a change that God's presence would no longer be at home in a building. No, God's presence was here in Christ. God's presence had come to the world in Jesus. Jesus coming to earth was God's presence coming to earth. This is why in every one of the biographies of Jesus, they make a big deal about this, particularly in John chapter 1. It says that the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And in the Greek, you might have heard before that that means he tabernacled among us. Jesus came and templed among us. That's why it's a big deal when Jesus died and this massive giant curtain was torn down the middle that allowed entrance into the holy of holies in the temple, into the very presence of God. Because Jesus is God's presence on earth. And when you trust in Jesus... It's as if you are walking through on in to God's presence. And so this is why we're not venerating a tomb. This is why you and I have not already, by this point in our lives, booked a trip to go to Golgotha and make that like the goal of our lives, to get where Jesus died, because Jesus is alive. He is living and He is active. And the message of the gospel is that each and every one of us, because of our sin, We have voluntarily walked out of God's presence, that we have ignored and rejected God's purposes and God's plans for our lives. But such is God's love for us that Jesus came to bring God's presence back to us, to to live the perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, to rise victoriously, so that by trusting in him, by having our sin, exchange for His righteousness. We might be reconciled with God and we might be welcomed back in to the presence of God. We might live in the presence of God, in relationship with Him. And so you can come home to God in Jesus by trusting in Him. But it doesn't stop there. Because Jesus said to His disciples, Having risen, he says, hey, it's actually going to be better for you if I leave and go back to heaven and I gift you my Holy Spirit. That evidently it's actually better that that rather than having Jesus alongside us, we have the Holy Spirit in us. That even better than having Christ with us. Imagine how incredible it would be if, if kind of, Jesus was here. I'm sure he'd sit in the front row, uh, and and then you know we'd we'd have our run sheet plan, and he'd just like, guys, just forget about that. Like, like I'll 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 take over here, thanks. And and like we could ask him whatever we wanted. We could talk about things that are on our heart, and and he would just kind of drop wisdom bombs. Like absolutely everything is just truth and and cuts to the heart and comforting and, and loving. Jesus says, hey, it's better. Rather than me being with you, it's better that I be in you. And so the Holy Spirit comes at the beginning of the book of Acts. And it turns out that when we come home to God in Jesus, God makes his home in us. And that leads to what the Apostle Paul says later in the New Testament to to the church in Corinth. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And the you there isn't a a personal, individualistic you, it's a it's a corporate you. It's you, the church, are God's temple. And so he is saying that the people of Jesus, those who follow him, if you call yourself a Christian today, you together, us, we are God's temple. That God is building in The world. We heard about this when we did First Peter, didn't we? That you are living stones, being built up by God into a spiritual house. And so, consider what this means—the significance and the glory of this moment. We read in Ezra chapter three that the mere foundations of the temple has been laid. God is coming home to live with His people. Well, it matches the significance and the glory of what God is doing in us. And with us as we gather and we build the church local and we build the church global. God is using us to rebuild his temple today. Now I'm no Zerubbabel, I'm no Jeshua, I'm not Nehemiah or Ezra. Every single one of us who is trusting in Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, we are being built up into this house that shines forth the presence of God into the world. And so don't let the the commonality of what we are doing fool you here. Friends, don't let the the community center fool you. If you're in Wollongong, don't let the visitor center fool you. Don't let the the mundane vibe and feeling of what we're doing. Don't let the struggle of getting the kids up this morning, getting them dressed, putting them in the car, getting here on time. Uh Uh-oh, we're three minutes late. Oh, No, you're part of something glorious. You're part of something amazing. You're part of something significant and incredible. And so I want to consider for the time that we have left this chapter and what we actually might be able to learn from the example of these people in rebuilding the physical temple way back when, that we might be able to glean for what it looks like to rebuild God's temple today, the church today, both local and global. And so specifically, I have from this text four marks for a rebuilding church. Uh, Three-point sermons, so last week. It's about four point this week. Four marks of a rebuilding church. I'll go through them quickly because there's four. First one is that we see that these people were a people convicted by God's Word. Did you notice that the angst that they have upon them when they first gather there in Jerusalem is, man, we're going to get an altar up. Have you read the law of Moses? We're going to to get an altar up. We're going to start offering offerings and and, and sacrifices here. They had this, this angst within them because they knew God's Word. When you cut them, it bled the Bible. And then we see at the end, when they finally lay the foundations of the temple, what comes out of their lips? It's a psalm, a song of David. The Bible is naturally influencing them, guiding them. They are convicted by God's Word. Now, throughout the history of the church, the church has been described before as the creature of the Word. You and I, we grow through food. At Easter and Christmas, sometimes we grow a little bit more. If you're like me, maybe it's every weekend. But for the church, how does the church grow? The church grows by God's Word. It is the protein for the church. And so when we think about building a city, a city on a hill, what's going to build us is the Bible. And so are you convicted of the, the truth of God's Word? Do you feed upon God's Word. Theologian J.I. Packer has this, this uh, illustration where he says, imagine how cruel it would be if we took someone from some foreign culture, some completely different part of the world, let's say an, an Amazonian tribesman, and we just plonked them somewhere in the middle of Australia, maybe maybe in Alice Springs or maybe right in the middle of one of the, our, our major cities. No concept of the English language, no idea of Google Maps and how to navigate life, no money, no help at all, and we expected them to live a life. Well, we are just as cruel to ourselves. If having been born into this world, we don't seek out the wisdom and the guidance, the language of the God who made it, and the God who has plans and purposes for us, the God who shows us what is right and wrong, beautiful and ugly, good and bad, true and false. That we're actually limiting ourselves by not taking and heeding God's Word. And so we need to be a people convinced of and convicted by God's Word. And I know a lot of people come to our church because of the Word. You kind of want the the meat. You come for the teaching. But don't let what we hear on a, a Sunday mean that we neglect the Bible on a Monday. Let it be the opposite. That Our approach to the Bible on a Sunday should drive us to be in the Bible all the more. Monday, Tuesday, and on and on and on. And so, as we become a people convicted by God's Word, God's Word will come out of us with conviction. That's the first. Second, we see in this text that these people are a people contributing to God's mission. The work needs to be done, and so immediately... The people pulled together their resources. And verse 7 says that as uh, these plans were, were being hatched, So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. And so they, they pulled together whatever they could find. They had, they had grant money from the establishment of the day. They had money from their own businesses and income. They had food and drink and oil. I mean, you should have seen the petrol prices at the time, but they still, they just gave it. Such was their generosity. They gave whatever they had because they knew they were part of something glorious. This is a moment in history that I want to contribute to. And this is how our living today. As Christians, as part of God's church that he's building, both local and global, this is how the Bible frames what we're to do too. We have this beautiful moment in Acts chapter 2 that we often point back to. as like, oh, look at how pure it was. Look at those, those raw core team days. And we hear that they shared all things in common, that people brought whatever they could, sold houses and contributed the, the funds, did whatever they could to help this this fledgling little group of people who trusted in a risen Jesus. And there is no denomination, there's no endowment, there's no great bequest that is funding the church today. God's kind of set this up that we always be reliant on each other. The church is reliant on God's provision through people who are following Him, who are trusting in Him. And so our church has a budget We want to be faithful with what God has given to us and plan accordingly. And by God's grace, many of you contribute and many of you have have gifted this church with what God has gifted you so that gospel ministry might go out. God's used the, the gifts of other churches around the world. He's used the generosity of certain gospel patrons. But by and large, our church only functions and this is the way every local church works. We only function by the giving and the contribution of the people who call it home. And so, if we were to, to write Ezra chapter three uh, about today, City on a Hill, Melbourne East, chapter three, City on a Hill, chapter the church planning, chap, chapter three, we'd read about how people gave to the hiring of venues so that people could gather. How people gave so that Bibles could be bought and and given away to people who didn't have a Bible. How people gave so that staff could be set apart to to minister amongst us. People opened up the doors of their homes so that small groups could gather within them. People gave so that courses could be run, so that people who uh, had never kind of stepped inside the the foot of a church building could hear about Jesus and and gather. People gave so that those who were doing it tough could be supported and, and cared for. And that all happens because God uses us as his people to contribute to his mission. And so to those who do contribute, I just want to say a big and hearty thank you. Thank you for being open to God's use of you in doing and building gospel ministry here amongst us. And by God's grace at our church, we've been able to meet our budget every year, of our four years of existence. And when we do, uh, I'm so encouraged And it's not about the money, although please do continue to give. But it's what it says about people wanting to invest and wanting to contribute to gospel ministry. And so look out for opportunities toward the local church, but also toward the global church that God might use what He gives us to go through us to build His church. That might be money, but it might also be time, energy, an open home, food, drink, care packs, wisdom, prayer. God's given you things to pass on to His church. Thirdly, we see that these people are a people connected to one another. One of the obvious things we see as the building work gets up and running is that this is a team sport. For sure, we hear about some, some individuals, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, but whenever we hear about them, there's always their kinsmen. There's always their sons and brothers. There's, there's all the people working together, doing what they can with whatever they have to help. And in the New Testament, we see something very similar said about the church. That the eye can't say to the hand, hey, I've got no need of you. That the arm can't say to the leg, hey, I've got this, 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 this is all good. No, we need the whole body working together. And in our individualistic age, it's, it's very tempting for us to say, hey, hey, I'll take Jesus but not the church. I love Jesus, but I'll step away from the church. No, Christ died for the church. Christ died for a people. The you of you are God's temple, as I said, is is plural, collective. I want to be part of that you. I want to be part of the people that Christ died for. I want to be part of the church, as messy, as broken, as sometimes disappointing as we are. And so we're called to be a church that's connected to one another. I was reading recently a book with the kids on collective nouns. Always good to teach the kids the collective nouns of all the different animals, and some of them are very fitting. You know, a cackle of hyenas. Whoever came up with that, genius. A gaggle of geese. I heard that it's called a parliament of owls. It makes you ask it's like politicians. Like what are owls doing all day? Nothing. They're in parliament. <laughs> You know, the collective noun, the collective noun for a group of Christians is a church. There are no no siloed Christians, there are no uh, Christians out there by themselves. No, we are part of the church, and we want to express that by being part of a church. And so we need to be together in the church. And so let me encourage you if you, you kind of feel yourself there within our church, don't stay on the fringe. Don't stay on the fringe of our church. Don't let church merely be a a, a place that you visit. Let it be a family that you belong to, that you dive into, that you open your life to. You know, we give three minutes every week for meet and greet time. It's not the time to to go to the bathroom, it's not the time to pull out Twitter. And we give it because we want to remind ourselves that actually we're, we're here for one another, we give time to one another to meet and greet each other. Some of us who are introverted have a heart attack at the meet and greet moment. It's to serve you. It's to push through that, to serve you that you might be connected in our church. And So don't stay on the fringe. Don't come strategically after the music's already started and leave strategically when our heads are bowed and eyes are closed at the final prayer. We would love for you to stick around. We would love to know you and for you to be known by us. Get connected into the life of this community. And finally, we see in this text that these rebuilders are a people wearing their heart on their sleeve. We come to the, the conclusion of Ezra chapter 3, and the foundation is laid, and we hear about most of the people there shouting with shouts of joy. It's an incredible celebration. They are singing a psalm of David. But then we hear about the older people, and some of them are mourning and weeping. And it's not that it's like, this is just the ancient version of, of, of grumpy old man, kind of, oh, here we go again. No, their mourning is significant. Because these are the, the people who, who were there, and they first they, they saw that first temple, the temple of Solomon. And having seen it now destroyed and crumbled, and having had to put the work in to relay the foundations, it reminds them of those glory days. Those days where God made His home with His people, where God and His people dwelt there. In Jerusalem, the intimacy that they shared together. You know, we've gotten very used to wearing masks in church. But some of us were wearing masks long before COVID. Some of us had our church faces that we would put on, whether it's coming in on a Sunday, whether it's at gospel community. But this bittersweet ending highlights that there is a need for us to bring wherever we are at to the people to bring wherever we we're at to the church. They didn't keep themselves by themselves, guarding everybody else from, from feeling what was going on. Even as the majority were celebrating, here are these people giving true and godly lament to what has happened. And in every single church, there will be people who are having the, the greatest spiritual season of their life. And even now in this same room, there'll be people who are having the hardest spiritual season of their life people who are absolutely passionate and firing for the lord and others who are this might be my last sunday before i bow out and so wherever you are you should know that you are welcome here the gospel is a message of come as you are god knows already nothing is private to the one who matters and He has gifted our church to help you, to comfort you, to care for you. Be invited and encouraged to bring where you are right now to the people of this church. Because this is how God is working in the world. God is working through the church. And the things that we need when we are in those harder places, encouragement, empowerment, comfort, care, compassion, prayer. Have you ever notice that the things that God says that He will do for us, providing for us, comforting us, He gives us those gifts through people. They happen through the, the spontaneous vulnerability of people and then the spontaneous, let me pray for that, or, or hey, we should really get around this person, let's encourage people, let's get together. God is at work in our lives, in the highs and the lows, through the people that He puts around us, through the church. And so leave the church face at home. The church is a place for real sin, real repentance, real reconciliation, real grace. Let it be that place for you. And so finally, let me land the plane with this. Uh, We've touched very quickly on on, on the first temple, the temple that that Solomon built. We've touched now in in this text of the relaying of the foundations to get get the the, the second temple up and running. We've heard how Jesus is God's presence in the world, but also that now through His Spirit, the church is God's temple. And so notice in the order of those events, as we we walk chronologically through the Bible there, that God's temple is, is expanding out in the world. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Today, millions of Christians or millions of churches are going to open their doors and gather together and proclaim a risen Jesus as God's temple. Billions of Christians are going to flock to those churches and express themselves as God's temple, the house of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible finishes with another vision. And so our thoughts about the temple wouldn't be complete if we didn't turn to Revelation 21 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then you get to the end of the the train of thought, or the vision. And John says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. You know, one day, all of reality. The whole heavens and earth is going to be a temple. All of the world will be living inside a temple because the temple will be God Himself. The temple will be God's presence himself. No mediated presence. There'll be no kind of messy, awkward church encounters during the meet and greet time, no disappointing. Underwhelming experiences with other Christians, all of us will be there, purified, white, adorned for Jesus, and together in God's presence directly with Him. And so, this is where our world is going. Our whole world is on this trajectory to see God become the temple. And so, if you can get it into the bones of your convictions and the bones of your kind of trajectory of where your future is going, if you can get this reality down into your soul, then the work that we have to do here and now to build, to be convicted by God's Word and hold on tightly to who God says that He is and what that means for us today, to be people who contribute and give all we can to what God is doing in the world right now, to be people who look out for each other and are connected to one another and to be people who gather together as real people, be ourselves, to be truly vulnerable with one another. All the the work that we do in gospel ministry and building the church right now, it will pale in significance to that time and at the same time be shown to be incredibly significant as we've been working toward this future building project where God himself, is with us. Where God will dwell directly with us. And so this is why we do what we do. Because we all want to make it. We want to trust in Jesus and keep on trusting in Jesus. And we want you to be there with us. And we want the people of your life in your life who aren't here right now to be there with us. That together we might experience the presence of god directly that we might dwell with him in perfection and in harmony and so we're going to pray right now that we be empowered to keep our hand to the plow in seeing the church be rebuilt and continue to be built until this vision becomes a reality that we might rebuild god's temple today because one day god will be the temple let's pray together Gracious God, we thank you for the ways that you interact with your creation throughout history. That, Lord, you made a garden temple at the beginning. That we, in following our first parents, walked out of that, rejected you, have gone our own way. And yet you so want us in your presence reconciled with you that you loved the world so much you sent your Son that He might live our life, die our death, and rise again. We thank you for Jesus. That Jesus allows us, by faith in Him, to come into Your presence and to know You once again. And we thank you that even this experience we have today is just a foretaste of what's going to happen when we come to see You face to face, when our faith is turned to sight, when our mediated presence is no more and we dwell together with you. God, keep that vision before us that you might empower us to pour ourselves out now for building your church. Lord, whether that's our local church, whether that's another local church, whether that's the capital C Global Church, Lord, we just pray that you would help us be people that are about the gospel going forth, that are about people who are far from you right now coming home to you, about people who are lost and dying in their sin, being made alive and found in you. Lord, stir our hearts to be about that, to be about what you are about in the world, bringing your presence into the lives of those that you have made and those that you dearly love. And Lord, we confess that we so often are distracted with other things. We so often put other priorities in first place. And Lord, come and write our loves. Come and write uh, the order of our priorities right now. Do it by your Holy Spirit, we pray. And so help us worship now you for what you have done and what you are going to do in bringing us home to you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast.